Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 7 of Daniel chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in Daniel 2, verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. I'll stop reading there. In verse 28, finally, um, Daniel is now revealing to King Nebuchadnezzar the dream that he had that had gone from him. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, if you remember, had gone to his wise men and astrologers and soothsayers and had uh, told them to reveal the dream to him. They could not. So he commanded they were all to be killed because they could not reveal his dream. Then Daniel made request for some time. And Daniel and the three young Jewish friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, made supplication to God and besought the Lord for grace and, and mercy that God would reveal the king's dream to them. And, of course, that's impossible for a man to know another person's dream. And it would require a miracle. And so God provided a miracle. As they prayed to him, he conveyed and gave them understanding and knowledge of the king's dream. And, and now Daniel knows the dream. And he's going to start out by telling the king his dream. And 
afterwards, he will tell the king the interpretation of the dream. We have seen how all this relates since uh, Daniel 2, as well as Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel 3, are all historical parables pointing to the great tribulation time, that this relates to the word of God that was sealed up until the time of the end. And since God sealed it up, that meant the information could not be known. It was just as impossible to know the hidden things of God that had been sealed up as it was for anyone to know the king's dream. And yet, in order to spare the wise of Babylon, to spare Daniel and his friends, God opened up the information to them that that could not otherwise be known and through the revelation, through the the opening of the dream and, and the revealing of the dream, Daniel and his friends and all the wise men of Babylon are spared. They're delivered from death. And and that fits in exactly with what happened with um, the opening of the scriptures at the time and the end of the world through that revelation of God. And, and again, we always have to emphasize because of the day we live in that there was no additional revelation to the Bible in any way. Um, God didn't break the barrier of the supernatural anew through a dream tongue or anything like that. He would never do that because the Bible is a completed book insofar as the written word. Nothing is to be added, nothing taken away, but God brought revelation in the sense that he opened up the information that he had already written, yet held man back from a proper understanding. And and now he was given his people, his elect people, proper understanding of many things that were written and and never seen or understood before in all history. And one of the things that God opened up was the information concerning the end of the church age and the command from God to his people to flee, to get out of the church, to leave the churches and congregations, and to go to the mountain or the hill to God himself and his word and and live from that point on outside of the corporate body because it was God's intention to begin his judgment at the house of God and once begun, then no one would ever be saved again within the churches of the world. And so for his people's own benefit and and the benefit of their families, God commanded them to come out. Well, okay, let's go back here to Daniel 2. And again, as Daniel is telling the king, thy thoughts in verse 29 came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass 
Very familiar language for this chapter. Again, the word making known or revealing secrets, um, interpretation is used again and again in in chapter 2 of Daniel because it all relates to the understanding of the Word of God, the Bible, and God's plan to make it known, to reveal the secret things of His Word to His people at the proper time and season. Then in verse 30, But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. And Daniel makes a point of letting the king know. And it's necessary for um, the people of God to do this with um, the unsaved, with the people of the world, because the people of the world do not see God. Of course, he's spirit. They don't see him with their physical eyes, but they don't see him with their spiritual eyes either. They, they don't see him at all. They, they really, um, have, uh, no understanding of God's true existence. And so they tend to shower glory and honor and praise upon the man. Uh, we see how impressed the king of Babylon becomes with Daniel, even after Daniel is telling him, Look, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom I have more than any living. And then later, a descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar, when God shows him writing on the wall and his knees begin to knock together, and finally through a queen who remembers Daniel, Daniel is called, and again he wants to shower him with honor. He'll become the third ruler in the kingdom and and so forth. It, it is man's tendency to lift up the individual who knows these secret things, these um, spiritual understandings, that, that someone who can reveal the things of God to man, well, uh, on one level... Man is impressed, and and again, he wants to give glory to that person. But the people of God are very consistent, very consistent. Daniel is telling him that, as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom I have more than any living. That is, basically, Daniel is admitting to the king that he's nobody special. He He's telling the king the truth. Daniel is a regular man. He's just as limited and finite and in the dark concerning God's secret things as any other man. And, and so Daniel tells him, not because of wisdom in me. It, it is a fact. He would not know what the king's dream was, nor its interpretation, if it were left to him. If if Daniel went back to his house after beseeching or, or, or asking for time, and he started racking his brains. Now, what did the king dream of? And he 
He tried his best. What did the king dream of? What was his dream? And he could he could come up with a thousand things and not know if any one of them were the dream. And the best he could do would be to guess. That would be the best to to look at the king's personality and and take a few factors in, try to find out what he have to eat for dinner that night to see what possibly could he have dreamed and then given an educated guess that would have been a thousand miles away from the actual dream. And and that's exactly how it is when men come to the Bible with their own ability, with their own minds and their own understanding and they try to apply their intelligence and their wisdom and their knowledge to the things of God, to the things written by an infinite, almighty God uh, that only the Spirit of God could possibly know. And unfortunately, this happens all the time. It's been happening for thousands of years in in the churches and congregations theologians are trained and people go through their seminaries and and they become pastors and they're taught the knowledge of men and they're taught to apply the knowledge of men to the word of god and they are basically applying their limitations and 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 their uh, shortcomings to the infinite word of the all-knowing God, and of course they're going to be wrong. They're going to come up with uh, erroneous understandings and doctrines, and 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 all kinds of other gospels, and that's exactly what has happened. In church after church after church, in confessions they have written, in creeds and and so forth. Now, Daniel, again, is basically, he's not doing anything great or wonderful by telling the king, as for me, uh, it's not revealed to me for any wisdom I have. He's, he's just being honest, and he's being a faithful witness. He knows that he could not know. He knows himself. He knows his limitations. He knows that none of the other wise of Babylon were able to understand the dream or the interpretation of the dream. And he knows he likewise would not have been able to do it. And 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 so we shouldn't think that Daniel is doing anything great. And Daniel doesn't think that. Daniel is just speaking matter-of-factly. Look, King, uh, again, I'm no one special. It's not in me. I don't possess that kind of wisdom. And it's typical, it's humble in the sense that it's true, and a man, uh, a natural man, has the tendency to try to take the glory to lift himself up and and to um, pretend to be someone he's not. But it's typical of a child of God. Remember, Joseph 
Daniel was in a similar position to Joseph. In Genesis 41, beginning in verse 14, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment, and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee, that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Notice what Joseph said. It is not in me. Very similar to Daniel's statement that it's not me. As for me, the secret is not revealed for any wisdom I have more than any living. And Joseph says the same thing. Joseph was uh, blessed by God in, in given uh, dreams and the ability to interpret dreams. But Joseph knew where the interpretation came from. There, there was within him, as God worked these things out, a recognition that God was giving the understanding. God was the one, in other words, that told him what the baker's dream and, and the butler's dream meant. And, and God was the one who would help him with Pharaoh's dream and the interpretation. Interpretation meaning the discernment of it, the, the proper understanding of what the dream meant. God gives interpretation. Interpretation of the mysterious things, of hidden things, of things that cannot be otherwise known, are always from God. Now, again, um, an example of an individual who does not give God the glory for um, the wisdom that, that must come down from above, is found in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9, it says, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Simon bewitched the people of Samaria. And Samaria is another name for Israel, and Israel is a type and figure of the church. And Simon um, was giving out that he himself was some great one. And and men, in their pride, in their arrogance, I mean, it's the natural condition of man in, in life. Men want to be somebody special. Like Joseph and Daniel are saying, I'm nobody special. But the natural desire, the inclination for man in his unsaved condition is to want to be someone special, to want to 
be exalted, to be lifted up. And, and so here lies a, a, a huge problem and, and a huge temptation in the churches and congregations when men would go through the seminaries and, and they would become learned in the original languages and they would also learn Latin and, and, uh, as well as the Greek and the Hebrew and, and, they um, would become highly educated in the grammatical things of the Bible, and they would um, be very intelligent men, and they would approach the Bible with training, training, years of training, and, and they would be instructed uh, as though they were to be the wise ones. They were the ones to lead the congregation, which, which is true. There's, there's nothing wrong with these men leading the congregation. That was God's plan. But, but God's plan was for men to lead the congregation in His wisdom. However, the problem was, and it happened time and again over the course of the church age, that men began to lead the congregation in their wisdom, or in the wisdom taught to them of other men. And they uh, would wear long robes, and and soon the robes became uh, decorated with all kinds of elaborate designs and gold, and, and, and then they would put on these hats, and they, they were looking special, looking like a great one, and and they became bo- uh, popes and bishops and priests and and so forth. They they were making out that they were some great one. And it was completely contrary, completely contrary to the word of God, the Bible. God would not have his people that are involved in receiving revelation and receiving the interpretation of the revelation all from him think that they're anything special. Think that they're above anyone else because it's a lie. It's not the truth. The The truth is that, yes, God, in his wisdom, determined to give some understanding additional understanding to this one and that one above others in order that they can then share those things with the others. Because most people have other occupations they're involved with. They don't have time to to dig into the Bible like a few others do. And so God equips some to provide the spiritual food for others. We see it with the disciples, breaking the bread, giving it to the multitude. It, it's just the order, the, the process that God has designed for the disbursement of truth, which all comes down from above. It, it starts there. If we go to James chapter 1, in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And that's an important statement. Every good gift. And, and what's a gift? What's a gift? It is given to you. Did God give Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a gift? Oh, he, he definitely did. He gave them the gift of knowledge, the gift of revelation. They did not know something, and their lack of understanding in that area was going to cost them their life. And so God gifted, he gave to them the information they lacked. And and he gave the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation of the dream. And so that came down from above. Remember when the disciples were on the road to Emmaus at the time when Jesus was resurrected, but but they didn't know it, um, or they didn't know it full well. And it says in Luke 24, when they were walking along with this mysterious stranger who happened to be the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he began to tell them concerning things written in the law, and then it says in Luke twenty four forty five, then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. They had no understanding. And believe me, if Jesus could have done it, then anyone, and certainly anyone lesser than Jesus, any man, a sinner, a redeemed sinner, uh, if, if, if they could have listened to Jesus for hours and hours and hours and not understood until he opened their understanding, then it's definite that men can listen to other men uh, uh, indefinitely. You can listen days and weeks and months and years and decades and your whole lifetime, and you will not come to any understanding until... God above determines to send a gift. All good gifts and perfect gifts come from God above. And in in the case of those disciples on the way to Emmaus, God gave a gift. He opened their understanding. And here's here's what the Bible tells us in John chapter 3. You know... The Bible does tell us that faith is the gift of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. I had it the other way around. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, God gives a gift, and it's not of works. If it were of works... Well, men will do what comes natural to them in their pride. They will boast. That's glory. Look what I did. Look, look how I got saved. Look, um, I, I accepted Christ. That, that's boasting. That's glorying in something 
that they ought not to glory in because it's not of works. It wasn't anyone's decision. It wasn't a man's wisdom to get himself saved by accepting Christ, making a decision, or walking down an aisle, or being baptized, or whatever. You could add a thousand things to it, or ten thousand things. They're all works of men, and salvation is not of works. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Again and again and again. That's what the Bible says. And in John chapter 1, in John 1, it says in verse 11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we we read those verses. And depending on our soul condition, we come away with completely different understandings. The true man, the one without guile, the saved individual, sees, well, we're born again. Not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And and he understands that's the consistent theme of all the scripture. The unsaved man, the natural-minded individual, he he reads that, but, oh, he reads the verse before. And he says, well, look, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Yes, salvation is a gift. It's all of God, they say. The um, natural-minded theologians and the natural-minded churchgoers and the natural-minded individuals who profess to be Christian, they say, they recognize the Bible says it, it's a gift. Yet you have to, you have to put out your hands. You have to do something. You have to receive the gift. And you see how deceitful, how completely dishonest a person, a sinner is when God says something, they'll, they'll try to find every nook and cranny, every corner of the statement they can until they can shift things back to works. And here's the work. The work of receiving Christ. Well, apparently they didn't read James 1.17 that every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And nor have they read John 3 verse 27. Which says in that verse, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. See, God knows the tremendously deceitful nature of man, that that man will try and try and try to bring himself the glory to give out that he's some kind of a great one and and so man looks for the um crack 
in the doctrine. He looks for the opportunity to shift the glory from God to himself at every possible turn. And yet, God, in his word, it's perfect. His word, as it were, covers every base. And when man says, well, you see, you have to receive Jesus and you have to put out your hands and and accept that gift. All right. Well, then God counters in John 3.27, you receive it. However, a man can receive nothing, which includes repentance and salvation and faith and, and every good gift that comes from above. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. That is, even the reception of the gift is a gift. It's all a part of the same package. It's all coming down from the Father above. And and if anyone were to be willing, if anyone were uh, to have their will bent and and now uh, to be humbled and they desire to be submissive to the things of God and to uh, to believe in Jesus and to follow him, that also is a part of the entire gift of God, which is wrapped up in salvation. And there, there is nothing, nothing. God is a jealous God, and, and it's also just the truth of the matter, because man doesn't deserve anything. He doesn't deserve any credit. He hasn't earned anything. He hasn't done the least good thing if he has indeed become saved, if he does indeed possess any true understanding or knowledge of any single verse in the entire Bible. It's only because of God and what God has given to him, what God has graciously and kindly and mercifully granted to him, to the one that was dead in trespasses and sins, the one who is like a stinking corpse when it comes to all spiritual things. God did the work of saving. God gets all the glory. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 4, and I turn here to to read some verses that are further along, but let's look at the first two verses, which says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And, of course, this is exactly what we're talking about in the book of Daniel the mysteries of God, revealing the secret things, the interpretation of revelation. God's elect are to be stewards of these mysteries because they're the only ones that it's given to. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 13 when he was answering the disciples' question, why do you speak in parables? Well, it is given unto you to know the mysteries. 
but to them it's not given. And, and, and so the corporate church really is, well, you know, on one hand, as, as they make their claims of being true men, then they would be, uh, also responsible for being stewards of God's mysteries. But, but in reality, it's only the elect that are stewards of, of the mysteries of God. And, and it's required in stewards that you be faithful. That's why it's so important. When God has opened up his word and revealed the hidden things, the mysteries, as he has at this time, it, it is extremely important for the people of God to hold on to them only because we're called upon to do so as faithful stewards. So when God opens up these great amounts of information, all of this truth, and we're, we're not to just let it go, we're, we're not to discount it and turn back from it, but maintain it. That's what a steward does. He's faithful in these areas. Well, then notice as, as the Lord is moving the Apostle Paul to make that statement, uh, what it says in verse 4. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now, he's saying the same thing that Daniel said. He's saying the same thing that Joseph said. The Apostle Paul has had mysteries revealed to him concerning the Gentiles. He He's had much revelation been given to him. And if anyone could get puffed up, if anyone could start to make himself out to be a great one, as theologians lift him up, if um, you, you've ever gone through any uh, theology courses and 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 when professors start to talk about the Pauline epistles and and Paul said this and Paul did this and and Paul 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 what a what a brilliant letter Paul wrote to the Romans just to use a phrase it, it's it's how I felt I'm sure it's how God's people feel it's enough to make you sick because it's not Paul it's not Paul this and Paul that Paul didn't write the epistle to the Romans, no more than Tertius did. Actually, the end of Romans tells us that Tertius, the scribe, is the one that penned it. But the same theologians recognize that Tertius was just a scribe dictated to, so he didn't write Romans. No, Paul dictated to him. Well, who dictated to Paul? God did. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so God wrote Romans, and God wrote Ephesians, and Colossians, and, and all the epistles that he used as an instrument, the Apostle Paul, to write, God wrote them. God gave him the revelation. Paul remembers, even if theologians forget, even if professors at seminaries uh, are ignorant of it, Paul knew himself he remembers he was the man standing there, Saul of Tarsus, standing when Stephen was being stoned to death, consenting unto his death, and being helpful to the ones casting the stones by holding their coats. Paul knows 
exactly how blind he was, how ignorant he was, and how hostile and opposed to the truth and to the true God of the Bible he was. Because God opened his eyes and granted him understanding so he could see the truth and realize that, that, that all the things that he was praised for in Israel and, and in the corporate church, men are praised. All the things he was esteemed for, for being a Pharisee and, and for uh, being knowledgeable and, and a wise man in the Jews' religion. They were all nothing but dung. And he, he says that in Philippians. He counted it all but dung because it, it, none of it was true. None of it was from God. It, it was all a man-made religion. It was a religion of works, a religion of the, the natural mind uh, uh, trying to decipher and discern the great infinite spiritual mind of God and his word. And and so Paul had been humbled, and he was of the same spirit and the same mindset as Daniel and Joseph when he says, I know nothing by myself. Again, Paul isn't telling us this to appear humble. He's telling us this because it's a fact. It's a fact that Paul of himself knows nothing. He he has not a little wisdom. He he doesn't say of myself I know a little. He he doesn't say of myself I know just the tiniest bit. But he's telling us the truth and this is the truth that all God's people come to realize and and all God's people um recognize that we don't know anything, that we don't know the least bit about anything concerning this holy word, the Bible. Um, you know, as men are expected to say things and, and they just make these kinds of statements when they don't really uh, mean it, their, their chest is puffed out as they say, well, yes, of course, it's the word of God and we can't know. And then they, in the way that they go about approaching that word, you can tell, oh, they don't mean a word of that. They think they're above the Bible. They think that they are the ones that are the pillar and ground of the truth, that everything revolves around them and their interpretation. And no, not for the elect, not for the one that God deals with. And God dealt with Paul, and God dealt with Daniel, and God dealt with Joseph, and God deals with every true child of his, and God, first of all, shows them what they are of themselves, and they're, again, we're just like Lazarus, a dead, stinking corpse that has no understanding no ability to see or hear or to know. Well, again, here in 1 Corinthians 4, 
we didn't actually come here for those verses. But down in verse 6, it says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? And you see that word receive again. And what did the Bible tell us in John 3.27? A man can receive nothing except it be given him from above. So, reception is part of the gift. Now, uh, I've previously, when reading this, uh, applied it, and it does have some application to physical things, where um, what, what do you have and what do I have, what does any person have that was not given us from above? That was not given us from God. It, whether it be our physical body. Who created our physical body? Who's the one who made us the way that we are? The color we are? The, the race? The, the size we are? The, the sex we are? Who's the one that made us the way we are? Whether we have two arms and legs or maybe born without one arm or without a leg or a hand or a foot or born seeing or born blind. All that we are concerning our physical body is given to us. It's all given to us. The, the, the conception and the birth, our creation, our entry into the world Everything is given to us. Where we're born, which country, which family, and the the means of that family, its finances, everything is given to us in the physical realm. Everything in every way. And of course, what does the natural-minded person think about that? If you would tell them, well, everything comes from God above. You know, the people in the world think they're great ones. They give out they're some kind of great one because they're beautiful, because they're handsome, because they're tall, uh, because they, their eyes are a certain color. They, they think that there's someone special because of something they've received. And man has that tendency again. It, it's part of the fall. To lift himself up. Look at me. Look how I look. Look how I appear. Or, um, again, it, due to circumstances, it, certain individuals have intelligence. Where do they get their intelligence? From God above. And, and so, uh, they become educated and, and they get certain jobs and, and certain levels of income and man just thinks he's doing it all, it, it's all from him, and yet what does a person really have that has not 
been given to them from above that cannot be traced back to the Father of lights, to the one that created them? And the answer is nothing. Yet man in the natural order realm, the, the physical world, constantly glories in things given to him. He constantly glories in physical things and when the natural-minded man, and I keep saying that because it's really man in a, a spiritually dead condition, and that's the vast majority of mankind, when a person who is dead in sin and, and has a natural mind involves themselves or, or is called or, and brought into association with the Word of God, the Bible, and they begin to learn of the things of God, it works out the the exact same way. They begin to glory into things that if it were true that they had actually received them, they should not be glorying in. That's God's point. What hast thou, or well first, who maketh thee to differ from another? If you're six foot four and, and, and someone else is four foot four, who made you to differ? If you possess some kind of spiritual insight, some sort of spiritual knowledge in the Bible that others do not have, who made that difference? Who made you the one to have that understanding? over against another who lacks the understanding. And and so, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? You're the only reason you possess and I possess or anyone possesses increased knowledge is because of the gift of God that, that came down from above and and we have to admit it. And, and so, if... Thou didst receive it. That is, if it was a gift from God, why do you glory as if you had not received it? And that's the big question. And of course, the, the true believer, he could fall in, or she could fall into that sin as well as anyone else. But we will be convicted. God will not permit that kind of pride to go on in the life of someone that he has saved and he will convict that person who do you think you are you're nobody special you're what what would you know and and, and so there is humility and that's one of the first areas that humility is seen in the life of a child of god is in the area of realization that we know we don't know anything we know that it's all from God and God gets the glory. That's what it says back in 1 Corinthians 1 in verse 27. I'll start reading there. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is all in all to the child of God. And, and, and then it says in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Why? Well, because the truth is, we have absolutely nothing to glory in. We don't have the slightest thing to glory in. We, we can't glory in what we know because it's all coming from God. We, we can't glory in any aspect of our salvation, of the gospel, and that is we cannot glory and apply it to ourself, but you see the, the natural man, uh, he, he does do that. He does do that. He perverts the gospel and turns it into another gospel, and there is no other, the Bible says, but he turns the gospel of grace into a gospel of works. And remember what God said? It, it, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the word boast is the word glory. And, and so when that pure, holy gospel of grace and grace alone is twisted and changed and perverted into works through primarily today the idea of accepting Christ. You do your little part. You reach out your hand just a little bit. Christ did everything, of course, but you got to do this little bit. Then, then that little bit of work it is the stinking fly in the ointment of the apothecary that sends forth a stinking savor to what was a holy anointing odor. And, and that God hates and God despises. And, and he tells us if we are to glory, it can only be in him. And when we do look at him, and we look at the salvation he has provided for us, we have much to glory in. And glory is more than just saying, well, O Lord, I glorify thee. I praise thee and lift up your name. Glorying in God is also recognition. And, And it is being a witness. When Daniel was telling King Nebuchadnezzar, it's not in me, there's no wisdom in me, but God's the one who gave interpretation, or when Joseph said, it's not in me, but God it, it provides interpretation. They were glorying in God. They were, they were stating the truth which gives God the glory. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.